thanks for checking out this message from Springmount Church. For more information about us and what we do, visit our website, springmount.church. Why not check out all the different groups that run throughout each week in Barrow and on Walney? And join us every Sunday from 11am at Salt House Pavilion in Barrow Infernos. If you would like us as a church to pray for you, please email prayer at springmount.church or sign up on our website for monthly news straight to your inbox. That is actually a really good sign. Yeah, that kind of completely oblivious to where she was walking right up front. Most of us would be a bit nervous if we came up to you. She's just oblivious and just doesn't view this as being anywhere different to anywhere else. And I felt that that really gladdened God's heart. Yeah, Suffer not the little ones to come unto me. So if you want to have some sort of affirmation that the Spirit of God is here, we see it in our kids and their approach to the life of this church. If they're kind of bolt upright at the back, fearful of kind of even expressing themselves, then that raises other questions. Doesn't mean that God isn't there, but when we just see children just blithely wandering around, there's something of the beauty and the innocence and the goodness of God in that. It's just a thought. It's just a thought. So we're looking at Ruth 3. Does that mean that last week we looked at Ruth 2? Please say yes. <laughs> right. Okay. It's not just randomly into Ruth 3, because if it was, that would, uh, that would be interesting. So can anyone say what kind of the, the crux of last week's message was? What was the carry out? What was the take home? Sorry? Being obedient to God. Okay. That's great. Well, has anyone read Ruth 3 at all, ever, or even in preparation for today? It's an interesting passage, isn't it? Well, Johnny gave me the choice. Um, I don't know if you know Johnny, he's the pastor here. Uh, <laughs> that's for you, Johnny, if you're listening back. Um, it's just the last four times, he just hasn't been here when I've... Uh, I'm trying not to take it personally, um, but I am, I'm choosing to. And so... Um, he said to me, you have a choice. You can kind of just bring something that's on your heart. I said, no, I love to preach in series. And then I read the passage. I was like, oh, right, okay, Lord. There's nothing coming. I mean, I read the story. It's a bit strange in parts. Please reveal something to me. And it kind of wasn't until about 10.35 today that it dropped into my heart, something that's on his heart to share with you today. So we got there eventually. Um, but it's an interesting passage, and as I was preparing for it during the week, I remember when I first started going to church while I was at university a few years ago now, and um, I think they were heavily influenced, the worship team, by Vineyard Movement or Vineyard, and the song, I Lift My Hands, just really came back to me, and I don't know if you know it, and I am not going to sing it, but it's kind of like, I lift my hands, I just nearly did then, to the coming king, to the great I am, to you I sing, and I was thinking, wow, so I went and looked it up, and I've been kind of revisiting some of that season, and the kind of the joy of that innocence of seeking the Lord and surrendering to him. 
Because somewhere along the way, I think the enemy of our soul wants to complicate the simplicity of our faith. Just how straightforward it is, which is ultimately about you and I being in relationship with Jesus and working out with fear and trembling what that means day by day. Yeah. So before you today, I lift my hands. <laughs> I'm, I'm endeavoring to surrender to him in what he has for each one of you, for you, for you today. And so, we live in a restless world. And this comes in all kinds of forms. One is in the form of sleep. According to research, research at least one-third of us, I think it's higher than that, at least one-third of us uh, failed to get the recommended amount of sleep each night. Does anyone know what the recommended amount of sleep is each night? Sorry? Yeah. It averaged between seven and nine hours a night. Yeah. Eight hours, you hit the middle. I like it. Good work. And so many of us, I, I think that in our generation, sleep is under attack. Um, how many times do you talk to someone and you say, how are you doing? They say, I'm tired. Yeah? We're a tired, restless generation. Also in the same study, it pointed out that half, half of people feel isolated and lonely. Half of people. If we did a, a survey in the church, that should not be the case, yeah? Lord, give us eyes to see the lonely, yeah? You can be lonely and have a lot of friends. You can be lonely and in the midst of a lot of people, yeah? And we can choose to be lonely as well, yeah? But it's not good for us to be alone, so we, leave, we live in this restless generation where we can't seem to find peace and we can be isolated and we can be lonely. So where do we turn in order to get rest? Where do we turn in order to get comfort? And in the kind of... The quietness of your own mind, that's a really important question to ask ourselves, okay? If we are men and women of faith, yeah, the answer to that question gives us an idea of where we are in our walk. Does that make sense? So if I'm lonely, if I'm restless, if I'm in pain, where do I go? Now, no one's asking you to answer that question out loud. But answering that question in your own heart and mind will tell you, do I go running to Jesus? Or do I go to my own resources or to other people and try and Google it and figure it out myself and then eventually realize that Jesus was in the storm all along and he was calling, to me, calling me to himself right from the start? Where do you go? And so this is a story here as it plays out about someone finding rest. 
And so the first two chapters of Ruth, we see in chapter one, horrendous experience for them. Naomi left her land because of famine at the time. She lost her husband um, and her two sons and one of her daughters-in-law. And understandably, there's a bitterness. Understandably, there's a bitterness that rises up within her. Even to the point that she calls herself, don't call me Naomi anymore, call me Mara. Or, I was thinking in West Cumbria, they use the phrase Mara a lot, don't they? Is anyone familiar with that? All right, Mara, I'm like, hold on a moment. Excuse me, sir, how do you spell that? <laughs> Is it the same as we find in the Bible, in the book of Ruth? Um, but interesting nonetheless, um, maybe just to me. And then in chapter two, we see the mercy of God breaking through. Okay, enough for Naomi to have like a renaissance, a, a, a kind of revitalization in her walk with God. And someone or some of us in this room need that, yeah? Need to have that fresh revelation of God once again, yeah? And he wants to meet that. And when, then we're introduced to Boaz, or Bo to his friends, a man of wealth, I don't know if that's true, uh, a man of wealth, a man of God, man of integrity, honesty, and a relative of Naomi's husband, okay? So he comes onto the scene, and we see Ruth taking refuge under the wings of God in a foreign land and being led mercifully by God to the field of Boaz to glean. Naomi recovers her faith. She's no longer bitter. She says in Ruth 2, verse 20, the Lord whose kindness has not forsaken the living or the dead. God has turned her mourning into dancing. And I, there will be people here that on one level are mourning in this place. I want you to hear this. Please hear this. He will turn it to dancing. Hang in there. Look to him. You may have a heaviness on your heart. You may have a grief that you bear. And it's maybe grief on behalf of someone else. I don't know. But I'm speaking to you. Know this, that the promise of God is this, that he will turn your mourning into dancing. But hang in. Look to him. Okay? Amen? He's good at that. He's good at that. And so chapter two overflows with hope. Boaz is a God-saturated man in his business and personal relations. Ruth is a God-dependent woman under the wings of God. And Naomi is now having this fresh revelation of the goodness of God and the sovereignty of God. And then that's where we find ourselves as we start chapter three. And so we'll go through partly verse by verse and then we'll kind of take it to its natural conclusion. How long do I have left, gentlemen? 17 minutes. Right, okay. 17 minutes. <laughs> 16 minutes, 30 if you're going to split hairs. Uh, right, okay. Get on with it. So, first point that I'd like us to understand, verses 1 through 7, when we seek rest in the Lord, there is a risk. Okay? There is a risk. 
Then Naomi, her mother-in-law, verse 1, said to her, My daughter, should I not seek rest for you that it may be well with you? Okay? So chapter 2, as we said, that ended, it's worth knowing, with a six or seven week maybe longer, harvest. And that harvest had come at the end of a period of, of, of famine and drought. So it was good times. People were celebrating. And Ruth had been working the field of Boaz and providing a great deal of food for her and Naomi. So, so they were, things were going well, finally. Yet Naomi knows that there's still something missing and she says, in effect, look, my heart is that, you know, I'm, I'm not going to be here forever, yeah? You're operating in kind of under my covering here, but I'm not going to be here forever, so I want you to find rest. So what, what does that mean? So the word rest translates as manoa, refers to finding a husband in this instance, yeah? Under whose protection would guarantee her safety and security in Israel. Because for Ruth, after Naomi passes, there would be no provision in place for her. So it's like, Ruth, we're going to have to find a husband for you. Yeah? We're going to have to find a husband for you. And then she says in verse 2, is, is not Boaz, you can just see it's starting to happen now, you know, our relative, but not like relative, but a distant relative, with who, whose young woman you were. See, he is winnowing in the barley tonight at the threshing floor. And so what we start to see now is Naomi start to reveal where Ruth can find that rest that she just mentioned. Look at Bo. Isn't he a, a fine man? Just look over there. Look how strong he is. Look at those arms. <laughs> Maybe, maybe just cast a gaze over there. She's working it. Um, it's likely, though, safe to assume that during that time, there will have been some interactions that are not recorded in Scripture between Boaz and Ruth, and they were maybe getting to know each other over that period. But there he is winnowing in the field. Boaz and his men, they would crush and hammer barley grain and then throw up or winnow the straw which would be carried away by windy gusts and the barley being heavier would fall onto the rocky surface which would then be collected and harvested because it had been separated from the inedible straw. Okay? So it's separating the good from the bad stuff. So through to verse 2 as we see Maybe we're all on the same page. Boaz seems like a good guy. Solid, yeah. I like the look of Boaz. Ruth seems like a great girl. Pfft, seems pretty obvious, eh? Why not encourage a union? And then we get into the interesting parts from verses 3 through 5. But before we, we look at those, it's important to understand something here. And it's actually a pivotal understanding in Scripture. And you guys will all know this anyway, so forgive me if I'm just speaking to the fresh air. Um, so what we have is a difference here between Scripture that's prescriptive and Scripture that's descriptive. 
Okay? And it's an important distinction. So when you are doing your own Bible study, it's important to understand this. So prescriptive sections of Scripture are common. Um, Sorry, sections of Scripture are commands given to us by God, such as do not murder, do not steal, etc. Okay? Do I have eight minutes left? Wow. Goodness me. I've barely got, after, got past my intro. Um, sorry, everyone. Um, I can stop in eight minutes. Seriously, I can. Um, anyway, I got distracted by the... <laughs> so I'll say that again because it's important. Prescriptive sections of Scripture are commands given to us by God, such as do not murder, steal, etc. So it's prescriptive. It's prescribed. This is what you shouldn't do. Descriptive passages of scripture where it describes historical matters like this is what happened this was the deal here this is this is what went down so what that means is what we're about to read here is descriptive not saying hey dads if you have daughters this is a good way of managing your daughter going forward okay or mums if you have daughters probably don't do this it's a description of something that happened Because if this plan was made in a different situation, with different people, bad things could have happened. So what's the plan? Ruth 3 through 5. 3, 3 through 5. Wash therefore, she says, wash yourself and anoint yourself and put on your cloak and go down to the threshing floor. But do not make yourself known to the man until he has finished eating and drinking. Us men are much more amenable after we've eaten, yeah? If you need to hear something, yeah? And and I I imagine ladies are too, yeah? (laughs) But more so men, because I can speak with confidence on that one, okay? Um, So after he's eaten and drunk, you know, celebrating the end of the harvest, and when he goes to lie down, Make sure you know where he is, because we don't want this to get mixed up. You don't want to lay at the feet of the wrong guy. You know, not Bob, not Barry, but Bo. We want it to be Bo, right? And so go and lay down at his feet. uh, Uncover his feet, yeah, and lie down. And then at some point during the night, he will tell you what to do. And Ruth just says, all right, okay. All that you say I will do, which is quite something. Now, Naomi and Ruth knew something important about Boaz as this plan is formulated. They knew his reputation in the city, and they know that he's a righteous man, Ruth 2 verse 1. And as we read this, we must be careful that we also understand that everything done in the Bible isn't always done correctly. I know that might be a shock for some of us. Yet God sovereignly uses everything for his plan and his purpose. So Naomi comes up with this plan, bathe yourself. Apparently, and I did some research, they would typically bathe themselves once or twice a year. Sheesh. Right, okay. Um, So this was special. Bathe yourself, and then just to be doubly sure, let's put some (laughs) perfume on as well. Um, And sneak in at night. Under the cover of his feet, lay down, all seems a bit risky to me, but Ruth just goes with the plan. She shows great faith and trust. I'm pretty sure most of us would be saying, 
What would happen if he got angry? What would happen if someone saw me on my way there? What if he rejects me? Could this just ruin everything? Surely there's a kind of a, a normal way of doing this. What if he tries to harm me or one thing leads to another? You know, th there's a potential compromise here, but not. She goes in faith and does it. And verses six, or, six and seven. So she went down to the threshing floor and did just as her mother-in-law had commanded her. And when Boaz had eaten and drunk and his heart was merry, he went to lie down at the end of the heap of grain and then she came softly and uncovered his feet and lay down. So how does Boaz respond? At midnight, verse 8, the man was startled and turned over. And behold, a woman lay at his feet. He said, who are you? And she answered, I am Ruth, your servant. Spread your wings over your servant, for you are a redeemer. Okay. So Boaz is woken up now. I imagine his head's spinning a little bit. But sometimes I'm lying in bed and our daughter Naomi, who's eight, I'm, I'm quite a light sleeper, so I'll just be laying on my side. And I just have this awareness of a presence in the room. I'm not properly awake and I'll wake up and she's just there. <laughs> and I can imagine Ruth, would, I don't think Ruth will have gone to sleep. I think her heart would have been beating very, and she's like, what's good? And I could just see Ruth, in a sense, with like these disc-like eyes, and it's like, right, he's stirring. Come on, your feet are cold. You're going to wake up any minute now. Checked her Apple Watch. Not yet. And, and then... And then he wakes up and it's like, it's me, it's Ruth. And his response to her is just beautiful. May you be blessed by the Lord, my daughter, verse 10. You have made this last kindness greater than the first in that you have not gone after young men, whether poor or rich. And now, my daughter, do not fear. I will do for you all that you ask. For all my fellow townsmen know that you are a worthy woman, and now it is true that I am a redeemer. Yet there is a redeemer nearer than I. Remain tonight and in the morning. If he will redeem you, good, let him do it. But if he is not willing to redeem you, then as the Lord lives, I will redeem you. Lie down. Rest. Be at peace in this knowledge that you're in a safe place and that I'm going to take care of things for you. I think that is just something that we all need to hear. The God that created everything seen and unseen. Yeah. The God that fashioned you in your mother's womb. The God that knows everything that you have faced in your life. The culmination of everything that you've seen, done, heard is the person that is sitting here now and God is saying, I know the whole story. Lie down, breathe out, rest. I've got the power to say this, that I have got you. Yeah. There's a, there's a funny scene in um, the original, original Superman movies uh, with um, Christopher Reeve, okay? And so the, it's right at the start of the film and there's this um, scenario where... Uh, Lois Lane is trying to get onto a helicopter. Do you remember that part of the film? She's trying to get on a helicopter. She gets onto it. 
daft sequence of events. The helicopter ends up wedged on the side of the tallest building in New York. And then she, and next thing, she's hanging out by one hand, and then, boof, she goes. Superman, being the person that he is, swoops up, catches her. And there's this phrase here. And it's like, don't worry, ma'am, I've got you. Something like that. And what does she say to him? She says, you've got me, who's got you? Yeah, you've got me, who's got you? Well, Jesus doesn't need anyone to have him. He can say to you with absolute confidence, be quiet, be still, rest in me. I have got you. I've got you. The thing that's on your mind right now that's dominating your thinking, he's saying, I've got you. Just trust me. And I believe this is one of the core messages, and we are nearly there, is this. Is that what the story of Ruth is about, about many other things, but one of the core things that the Lord has shown me is it's about surrender. It's about acknowledging that actually, in my own self... I can do stuff, I've got skills, I can bring stuff to the table, but ultimately, I have nothing to bring before God. And there's people in this room here that are wrestling with things, and you've been wrestling with it for so long, and actually somewhere in the past, God has said, no, lay it down, surrender, and we haven't, and we still wrestle with it, we grapple with it, because we want it to go a certain way. But what surrendering does and what that did for Ruth, it meant, well, whichever way this goes, it will go. But I'm now just going to surrender. I'm going to lift my hands and lay things down. Yeah. In fact, I have to lay things down and then lift them up. And God wants you to just raise your arms in surrender today. Because we have been getting in the way of what God has tried to do and trying to do for so long. He's a gentleman. He won't force. And if we choose to stand in the way of God, then that is on us. But God is calling on a people that are surrendered and sold out and laying it down and raising their hands for him so that he can do a new thing, a work of majesty in you. So if you're sitting here frustrated... Why does all the good stuff seem to happen to other people? Why do other people see God moving and I don't? This may not be the case completely, but for some of us it may be that we're standing in the way of God and we've not yet surrendered to him. You've prayed, you've wrestled, you've grappled, you have like a tension within your body about, you know, Lord, bring this about, and he's saying, surrender. Surrender like Ruth did. She just made her way faithfully, <coughs> laid down, and ultimately said, God, it's in your hands. Yeah, it's in your hands. So for me, I remember that day, and I've shared this before, but in closing, that I'd been going along to church for quite a while, yeah, in Preston while at university. And um, I remember one Sunday, the associate pastor, a chap called Buster, walked over to me, and it was like um, everyone had disappeared in that space. It was one of those kind of 
holy moments looking back where there was no distraction, there was none of my friends around that I could kind of get comfortable and then hide behind. It was like a confrontation with God moment, a reckoning, either choice. And he said to me, Oh, Kramen, uh, sorry for any Scots there. He said, Oh, Kramen, I, I want to ask you a question. And I said, Oh, uh, yeah. And I was feeling quite nervous, um, like I am now. And he said, Are you a Christian? <laughs> and it's interesting, one of the things I did before I became a Christian was lie. And I said, Yeah, yeah, of course. And then he did this, and it's like, come on. He said, I don't think you are. And I'm like, come on, I can't get away from that. And I believe that he was operating under the Holy Spirit in that moment because he called me out. I was going along to church. I was enjoying teaching more than worship because worship was a bit expressive. They had like, people had like tape on sticks and they were doing this. I'm sure it's got another name to it. And... uh, (laughs) Bring tape on sticks next week. And so, and, and, and he said, I don't think you are. He said, I think it's time for you to give your life to Jesus. And I said, okay, what do I, what do I need to do? And he led me in a prayer. And I said, Lord, I've done bad things in my life. I've sinned. I said something like that forgive me, I want to give my life to you and trust you with my life. And from that moment, everything changed. Everything changed. As much as I could in the understanding that I had, I surrendered to him then. But it's a daily choice. I can't live off that experience a few years ago. It's a daily choice. And the invitation from the throne of grace is do you surrender today? I really feel that's the heart of the Lord to you guys in this place today. He's calling you to lay aside your own majesty, (laughs) your own ideas of what it might look like, you know, and how your life should maybe even look now. Those things have a place. Don't mishear me. He doesn't want us to... Yeah, it's a place of surrender. And I tell you now, that if you choose to surrender to Jesus again today, you will see him move. That may be the thing that's blocking the movement of God might be little old you and little old me in the way of God because we've not raised our hands and said, look, it's over to you. I'm just going to rest in you and find my peace in you and, and allow you by your spirit to do the thing that you do best, which is make my path straight, mend things that are broken, restore things that are lost, redeem the time. So that's the invitation, and that's the message. So we thank the Lord for his word, yeah? Unto him always is all the praise and the glory. All the praise and the glory. So what do we do now <laughs> with that? I just, wonder if, I just wonder if there's a place where, and I, I don't want you to do it because 
other people might be doing it. I want you to do it for yourself. Yeah? This, ultimately, on that great day when we meet the Lord Jesus Christ, you won't be with your husband or wife. You won't be with your kids. You won't be with your parents or your best friend. It'll be an audience of one with the creator of all things seen and unseen. Yeah? So, so I can't then go, well, you know, my, wife, my, my husband, my kid. It's like, no one-to-one with the Lord Jesus Christ, where we will give an account, my word, where we will give an account of what we did in this life. And the call is to you, is let this today be one of those days where where we see that the hinges of our future turn, where we say, okay, no more fighting from me, no more resistance, no more holding back. I am going to surrender to the will and the way of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords, and it will be a new day. So if that's you, please only stand up if that's you, that you want to surrender everything to Jesus. There's a risk. There's a risk. We saw that with Ruth. But I feel it's a safe risk. (laughs) There is a risk. So what I'd like you to do is stand now if you want to step into that space of surrender to Jesus once again. And I'll pray and then we'll hand over to the worship team. Hallelujah. Yeah, Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the story of Ruth, which has so many things that we can learn from, Lord. But today I feel it's on your heart to remind us that the the core of what we do, and it's what you did on the cross, which was you laid aside your majesty. You surrendered your majesty, your life, for us, and that is the call upon each one of us in this place today. The, the wrestling and the grappling and the fighting and the grinding of teeth and that tension that we feel in our body, Lord Jesus, I pray that you would just release that now as we come into that place of surrender to you. And that, Lord, your Holy Spirit now would be released amongst your people. That you would do that work that only you can do from that bedrock of surrender, Lord, that you start to do that work of releasing and restoring and realizing um, all that we have been called to do. So, Lord, we stand now before you as an act of surrender. And I pray, Lord Jesus, that you would come and do a work of majesty within your people, Lord. I pray that this will be a red-letter day for many of us, where you, where you come quickly and you come real into our lives, Lord. So be seen, be known, and be glorified in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.